0: Well, good morning, it is wonderful to be together, it's good to see you all, and uh, whether you're up, and you'll have to excuse me, I don't look up very often, I know you're there, so, uh, but uh, it's good to to have, and it's good to see a lot of uh, people, I know the Erickson's probably need a vacation after a week of (laughs) fairing, I know I do, and I only went to the fair three times. So uh, I was, I'm ready for a vacation from the fair. My kids, on the other hand, they're ready for it to continue. And uh, praise the Lord, it is done. So, uh, but anyway, while we're in a series, it's always difficult when we're in a series. Uh, when it's not a book of the Bible, it's more difficult actually to study for a series um, and not to just go verse by verse, my tendency even in the series is just to pick out a few verses and never want to leave them, and so for that very reason, we're going to look at just a section of uh, Romans 12, 2. Um, don't worry, in a few years we'll get to it in our study of Romans, and we'll unpack it even further. But, uh, but we're going to use um, a God's commentary, and that is John 17, and we're going to bookend uh, the statement that God gives us in uh, Romans chapter 12. And so if you want, you can just pretty much stay in, in John 17 as we will be perusing that, and, um, and we'll just read shortly Romans chapter 12. And the goal of this series is really to look at, as we were studying in Romans and we talked about the wrath of God and as it's being poured out on the world, because God is holy and, and we are not and so um, we've talked about God's wrath. So what does please God? In part of that, the, the title of each of the messages talk about what we're facing in our life. And then the point that we draw from it is really what pleases the Lord. And so this morning, we've looked at uh, two other points, and we'll fill those in in your notes, give you a third point, and then talk about The battle that we are facing in the world. And if you don't think that we're facing a battle, then you you want to go back and look at the prayer in which Jesus just prayed for us, knowing we'd be living in this world. And you'll pick up on some very important things and realize we are in a very real battle. And so as we look at that this morning, I pray that you will begin to look at maybe the world a little differently or realize the battle that we're in and look at that differently. And then in reality, look at what does it really mean to please the Lord and what are some things uh, that we can do with facing the battle that we're in. So some things to look at as we uh, go to the Lord. So let's pray and ask God to bless His Word. Lord. We are going to read different aspects of your word. We're going to look over what has already been read, and we thank you for that great introduction, and may our our minds, our hearts be fixated on your truth. Lord, may we be set apart uh, for your truth to use it for your glory. May we prepare our minds for action, even right now in the battle that we face um, of just ignoring the simple things of the truth, and may we be truthful ourselves in realizing where we are at in our walk with you. Help us to grow. Um, thank you, that Lord, that even in our imperfections, you are helping us grow day by day, and you use your words to do that. So may we honor that word today as we proclaim it. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 12, verse 1, we know that Paul Uh, You know, looking at all of Romans, he's been focusing on the fact that here is our salvation. Our salvation is needed because we are not righteous, but God is, and therefore simply we are under God's wrath because we are not righteous. So God did this amazing work apart from us, and he gave us an amazing gift that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave us the gift of imputing or giving to us his righteousness and taking all of our sin to the cross to pay for it. It's an amazing aspect, and he unpacks all of salvation in in all of the chapters prior to Romans 12. So he says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, or because of God's mercy, because of what he's given to us that we don't deserve, He says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to to see ourselves as a sacrifice, to basically submit to him and not to submit to the world or submit to our own desires. And so, and he says, which is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And then he says these words in verse 2, do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's this idea of, of the world is a battlefield. There's this idea that God does not want us to conform to the world, not to be pressed down into a mold. He doesn't want us to be molded informed into the fashion of the world. That's not his goal. That's not his desire. That's not what pleases him. It's, it's an amazing statement that we take for granted sometimes because we know that we need to follow Christ and we shouldn't be following the world, but that doesn't mean that it's simple because we're in a battle. Battle is never easy. Knowing a truth about something is never easy. It doesn't make it easy. So we've already looked in this idea of, of facing the Lord Is is? whoop, I went backwards. Can you start me over? I pressed the, the dreaded back button instead of the forward button, and you—it should be easy because the forward button is huge. But you know, nobody's perfect. All right. <laughs> so here's the goal: the goal of the Christian life is to live before the face of God. That we—what pleases God is for us to—to to actually live before Him in His presence in every daily thought and action of our life. That truly does worship the Lord. And the other aspect that we saw, we talked about last week, is that God desires us to be righteous, not be righteous in and of ourselves, like the Pharisees, that they did because they saw all of the evil things going on in the world. And they said, we want to be different. We need to follow the Lord. And so they started making up all these rules, and they got sidetracked. And the leaven that Jesus talked about was that Their righteousness was all external. There was no internal change. They didn't love the Lord. They actually loved trying to perfect their life in following rules. But God says there's none righteous. No, not one. And he went on to say that all of our good deeds are as filthy rags in his sight. So there is no righteousness. It's God's righteousness that he desires and And so we need to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and we need to internally learn to just love the Lord and let Him change us. This morning in Romans 12 and in John 17, we're going to look at this idea that God desires us to be transformed. He wants us to be different. He doesn't want us to be pressed down into a mold. He wants us to come out of that mold and be changed, having a new identity. That it's his identity with his purpose in our life. The idea of transformation to be different. John 17 is beautiful because if you look at his prayer, God's prayer for us, Jesus' prayer, knowing we are going to be in this world. There are some amazing things talking about identity in verse 6. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. So right from the very beginning, as he prays for us, he says that it was all about God's identity. He took God's identity, brought it forth that we might know God's identity, and if you go and keep reading that in verse 11, he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. So as he's praying for us as we live in the world, there's this idea that he doesn't want us to, to... when we're saved, to move away from his name, he actually wants us to keep that identity in our life. So there's this idea of identity, and, and there's this identity of purpose. The identity was for a reason. That even as Jesus did all the things that God has asked him, it's amazing. He said in verse 19, he says, And for their sake, I consecrated myself. Jesus said, I set myself apart for your work that they also may be sanctified in the truth, that they also might be set apart. And it's interesting as he talks about the world and the famous thing is that we see from this, a lot of times the famous words are that Jesus prayed that we, even though we're in the world, that we wouldn't be of the world. So there's this idea that we know that we should be in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. So there's this battle going on. And he says, you know, I'm not of the world. And just as I'm not of the world, that they shouldn't be of the world. But they're in the world. So he's praying for us because he knows the complexity that we will have to live in this life. Just think about your life and the things that you're faced with, the things that you know is right, and yet you're confronted with wrong things daily. You're confronted with wrong thinking, wrong behavior, Wrong food choices, wrong whatever. A good life goes on. The beautiful thing about having pigs is that when my daughter brings home all the donuts, I have a good place to transfer it into bacon and make better food. So (laughs) that's a joke because some people don't like bacon either. But but anyway, but the idea is, is that we are faced with a battle. But the reality is, is think about it, the life of believers is... Most of us don't actually treat our life like we're in the middle of a battlefield. We don't look at the death and destruction around us many times. A lot of times believers they treat it like we're on the ball field. It's a game, right? And it's a game to win and to be better at and to make other people see us and and cheer for us, right? It's this cheering thing. It's like we're in this this reality show that we, you know, in this it's a ball field rather than battlefield. But the reality is, it is a battlefield, and Jesus knew that. And knowing that, it makes this prayer even so much just grander, bigger, more beautiful to behold. And even me, this was one of my favorite sections of Scripture, just thinking that even before I was born, that he was thinking of me. Right? So I loved it, and I was telling, even before um, the service started, I was telling Rob, I was like, I was just pouring over this and realizing there was even aspects I had not realized before that I just even grew deeper in my appreciation for this prayer. We know that we should be in the world, but God says, don't be of the world. It's a fascinating statement. There's an illustration that really gives us uh, the reality of this, and that is that there's, you know, a boat is in the water, right? It's in the water, and a boat is designed to be in the water. And, but yet, a boat is not designed to have water in it, right? There's a funny thing that happens when water gets in the boat. I remember the very first boat we owned as a family, and uh, after I'd learned to water ski, I learned, learned to water ski down in Texas or Oklahoma, depending on where we were in Lake Texoma, um, you know, so we were down there learning to water ski and, you know, in, in swampy infested snake, you know, water. I loved it because I like to catch snakes, but my mom freaked out every time we went water skiing. <laughs> but we learned to water ski and we bought a boat and we lived here in Seattle and we were We took it out on lake taps and we were going out on the lake and we get about halfway out on the lake and I'm looking at the back and we're, you know, we're having a hard time. The boat's just going like this. And I look and I'm like, there's water in the boat. And I'm like, dad, is there supposed to be water in the boat? And he turned around and he looked and you see this look of shock on his face and he's like, he looks down, he looks at me, he looks at the water and he starts start bailing, he turns the boat around. We're trying like everything and another boat pulls up beside notices we're having a problem and he goes, you forgot the plug, didn't you? And my dad's like, <laughs> so there's a plug that goes in the back so you can drain water out of a boat if water gets in the boat and he forgot to put it in so the water's coming in the boat and the boat started to sink doesn't, and it doesn't do very good with the motor. So the boat was on dry dock for a while. A boat is designed to be in the water, but water in the boat is not a very good thing. And it's the same thing with our life. We're designed, God saved us while we live in this world. He saved us by the truth of his word and he sanctified us and he set us apart for ministry to be identified with him, to transform our lives. But he designed us to be in the world just as a boat is in the water, but he didn't design for the world to be in us, to overtake us. And we struggle with that reality, and we see that never more than in the statement that God says in James 4. It's a statement that we don't like. We don't read James 4 very often. Verse 1 talks about why are there you know, wars and fights, and why are there quarrels among you? Is it not the desires that are at war within you? We all have desires. As you live in the world, you realize desires creep in, don't you? We desire certain foods. We desire certain clothes. We desire certain cars. We desire, you know, a certain lifestyle. We want, and so we desire certain things. So pastor, don't preach on my desire, right? We don't like it when the pastor starts preaching on whatever you want or whatever you like. And you don't like it when anybody tells you that what you like or what you want is wrong. And so when somebody's keeping you from something you like or want, quarrels ensue, but what's interesting is in this same context he says these words and we often don't like to read them and he says in verse 4 he says you adulterous people. Wow, we don't like to be called adulterous do we? And he says this, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility with God? And and he and he says something that we don't like and cuz we like to be you know have comfortable things in this world and But yet he takes it to a whole new level. And he says, to be friends with the world is to create hostility with God. And he says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And there lies the battle, doesn't it? We're in this battle. And he says, when you, and remember... James is speaking to the church. He's going through very practical things about living in the world. And he says, Now, look, if you make yourself to be a friend of the world, you're going to create an, an enemy with the Lord. It's, it's, you're going to turn and you're going to be actually on the wrong side of the battle. And so let's look at so, what is the battle? Let's ask this question What is the battle with the world? And we see in, the, in James 4, but also in, in Romans 12, we see some very real answers. The very first one is, is compromising in the little things. It's amazing how that many times in a battlefield, the battles are lost, not because of big things, but because of very little things that we overlook. You know, when, when Jesus says being friends with the, or when God says be friends with the world is to make yourself an enemy with me, a friendship is not, doesn't seem like a very big deal, right? It's like having a friend. is not that big of a deal. We should be friendly, right? Being friendly is a good thing. But friendship is a whole other thing. Oftentimes, being friendly turns into friendship. And friendship can be driven by other things. And sometimes very worldly things. And so much so that in Exodus 32, we see an example of this when God was telling them on how to live when they went into the promised land. There was other worldly factors. There were the Canaanites, there was the Hittites, there was all the Jebusites, there was all the Ites, right? They had infected the land of promise. And God said these things. He says, you shall not follow a multitude in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice. And he went on to explain this even in Deuteronomy 18.9. He says, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. He said, don't learn to imitate them. He said, very, he said that's why they were supposed to expel everybody out of the land. He says, don't make them, don't imitate them, don't let them be a part of your everyday living The little things is what really where it, it begins, and it begins to kill us. What is the battle? It's the compromises in life. It's the friendships that we don't realize that we make. It's those little imitating things. Look at the subtlety that he says just a few chapters before in John 15, before he prays for us. In John 15, 19, he says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world... But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Yet, isn't it amazing how much of our life is dedicated to being comfortable in this world? Right? We don't like the, the fact that the world looks at us and thinks we're odd, right? One of the reasons I call the, you know, Carrie's and Ethan's, and I pick on all the kids and I always call them weirdo. Is to remind them very simply that when I and I call you weirdo, it's that we are weird. We're not supposed to look normal in the world, but yet it's funny how we try to normalize ourselves to the world. In fact, in Second Corinthians six fourteen, he says, "Do not be bound together with unbelievers, or what partnership has righteousness with lawness? I mean, how does? God's righteousness and lawlessness fit together. It's not compatible, right? And he goes on to give us another. He says, what fellowship has light with darkness? Right? As soon as a light turns on, where does darkness go? It's gone. And when you turn off a light, where does light go? It's gone. You can't mix both. It doesn't work, right? That's when you stub your toe, when you try to mix both, <laughs> right? When you don't have a good flashlight. Um, you can't put both together. There's this battle going on, and compromise is a part of that. I mean, look at righteous Lot. It's amazing. In Second in Peter chapter 2, verse 7, we see that the Bible calls Lot righteous. He was known for living a right life before God. He was called righteous, and and yet, Lot grew in, in stature and he had lots of animals and lots of sheep and if you know anything about sheep they never stop eating right and they'll just totally destroy a land if they're left to themselves and and Abraham had lots of sheep and they were competing for grass and you know that in farming world if you know everybody fights over two things water and grass land right And that happened with Abraham and Lot. So Abraham said, hey, we're family. Let's stop fighting. Look at everything. He took him up to the top. He said, you look over here. Look over here. What do you want? I'll give you first dibs. Lot looked around, and he saw the Jordan Valley in in Genesis 13. And he says, oh, wow, that Jordan Valley. Look at all that green. It's lush. It's fertile. It looks nice. And he left. And he says, I'll go there. So Abraham said, fine. I'll take this other side. And so he went to the... What the Hebrew called the Shfeila or the lowlands, and he went to the other side towards the coast, and so Abraham, you know, so they kind of split ways. And it wasn't that's not, that in and of itself; that's not necessarily bad. They dealt with conflict very well, but Abraham, you know, went his way, Lot went his way, and and it tells us that not only that happened, but before long, he first he said, "Well, there's that great city of Sodom." So he said, "Well, wow, there's." lots of commerce there, and there's lots of things, you know, maybe I could sell lots of sheep, there's lots of people, they're going to need lots of food, whatever, it doesn't tell us, you know, that's all reading between the lines, but he saw Sodom, we know from the scripture, and he pitched his tents towards Sodom, it's literally saying that he pitched his tents so he could see Sodom, it wasn't just that he, it was a purpose thing. But that's where he did. And, and it tells us in verse 10 and 11 of Genesis 13. But not only did he pitch his tent towards Sodom, but it says then in verse 12 and in chapter 19, then he moved into Sodom. But before long, Sodom moved into him. It became normalized with the th- events and things around him. That's what little compromise does. And we see the next thing is is that what is the battle with the world? Well, it's the compromising, and then it's the conformity to the world's viewpoints. Conformity. In in verse two of Romans, it says, "Do not be conformed. Don't be conned." Right? It's not really what con means, but don't be conned. Don't be think that the world has something to offer. That's the reality. It means. To be pushed or into a mold, or you know, it's like those Jello molds. Like you can get whatever mold you like, and you can put the Jello into it, and you form it to it, and you freeze it up, and or refrigerate it till it sets, and then you pop it out, and voila, you got you know a fish, or you've got you know something. You can make it into something. Frankly, I just just put it in the the, the Pyrex dish and give me all the beautiful, wonderful layers, and let me eat. And you know what? The best part of that, you know that jello when you put it all into a big dish it's that 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 sugar milk you know that goes in between that makes it real sweet that's the best part but anyway i digress let's go back but anyway the idea here is is that it's the idea of forming something and being conformed god doesn't want us to be conformed to the world's viewpoint do you know what's interesting here is, is the word world it's not cosmos it's not the people of the world it literally, the best translation for the word world here is the spirit of the age. It's the viewpoint of the age. It's aeon. It's, it's literally mean, you know, the, it's, the, it's the age that seeks to gratify self-independence regardless of the consequence of cost. The word literally means the spirit of the age. It's whatever people think is best. That's what he's talking about. Don't be conformed to the spirit of the age or whatever the viewpoint or the philosophies or all those things. In fact, we know Paul describes that Satan is you know everything lies in the power of the evil one and he is the one that controls the spirit of the age. All the viewpoints that we see being thrown at us in the world is being directed by the schemes of the evil one. Right? The present age is in contrast to the age that is to come when Christ returns. It's different. God doesn't want us to compromise in the little things so that way we begin to be conformed to this world because we don't belong here. Right? We're just a boat adrift. Don't bring the water in. That's how our life sinks. The world or the age, the spirit of the age, is a lot like what we see in the days of Judges. When you do a study of the book of Judges, that there was no, there was no good king, there was no right king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Right? Proverbs tells the same thing. There's a way that seems right unto man, but in the end it leads to Destruction. Ephesians 2, 1 through 13, it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, Aeon. Not the people of this world, but the spirit of the age. You once followed that, but you don't any longer, because God made us alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. Compromise leads to conformity, which leads to corruption, corrupt thinking corrupt living. We should never believe that when we conform ourselves to the spirit of the age or the thinking and the viewpoints of this age, that when we listen to all their opinions and their philosophies and their their endless debating of what is right or wrong, and basically now we see that they're destructing everything because nothing is right and they're going to conform it to whatever makes you feel good. We should never believe that it is leads to a renewed perfect mindset. It actually leads to a depraved mind, a corrupt way of thinking. That's where we're going to lead on into next in Romans 1, 28 through 32. It says, in verse 28, it says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. Debased is a depraved mind, a mind not enduring trial and so not standing purity. They it's a mind that doesn't stand. It's like jello, right? What happens when a little heat gets to the jello? It melts. You've got to put it back in the refrigerator and let it firm back up again. And you know what? have you ever noticed that the more that the jello melts, the worse it tastes later on? It just doesn't taste the same. It's gross. But that's what happens. Our mind never stays firmed and fixed, able to stand against the schemes of the evil one. It actually becomes like jello. It just becomes depraved our mind doesn't get better there's a real battle going on it's a battle for compromise it's a battle for us to conform which leads to corrupt living and corrupt thinking this is the reality is is that compromise leads to conformity which leads to defeat you say this is the battlefield that we're in i say well pastor quickly tell us what do we do with this how do we fight this battle then? Well, it's, the secret is in Jesus' prayer. How do we fight this battle? John 17 is the answer. I don't have time to go through all of it, but this, the reality, the truth is the statement that we made earlier. That in, in Romans 12, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A transformation that comes from the inside with changes in our outward living. It's an inward change. It's a, new, it's a newness of life. That when the Holy Spirit saved us, when he made us alive, he took us from death to life. He gave us life. And it's from that life that he gave us through the power of the Spirit that he wants us to change outwardly. We don't change outwardly so the inward would change. We change because God saved us. And from the inside, that inward change changes the outside. The prefix is so important, isn't it? The prefix con, to conform, must yield. That conformity must submit and must yield to the prefix of transformation, which means to go on the other side or to change. The call for transformation doesn't mean a total withdrawal from the world. It means to be changed out of the world. The word transformation is metamorphosis or metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. You know, you know when a butterfly changes from that ugly looking caterpillar to something that's beautiful, right? And just eats your clothes. <laughs> but it or I'm sorry, that's a moth, but butterflies are amazing. Moths not so much. But the transformation, right? There's a transformation from the inside out that happens. God wants us to be changed, not to look no longer like the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's an inside to outside change. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 2, if you kept reading that we're changed, we're no longer dead in this world, we no longer look like the world, but in verse 22 it says, In Him you also are being built up together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's through the power of the Spirit that we change. And so here's some things that we learn about this. As Jesus prayed for us in John 17. In John 17, how do we fight this battle? We seek to maintain the right identity. Our identity is not the world. Our identity is God. It's His name. Seek to maintain the right identity. You know, in John 17:6, it says, I have manifested your name to the people. Something, as you look through John 17, notice he constantly goes back. It's all about you, my identity. He said, Jesus said, my identity is in the Father, and therefore their identity is in you. He says, he says keep them, right? In verse 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. Seek to maintain that identity, that our identity is in the Lord. It's in Christ, right? When we were baptized, it's like a naming ceremony, right? We're saying that we don't belong to this world. We're dead to this world. We belong to Christ. We have a new name. It's called Christian. It's not what the world says Christian is these days, but it is saying that I am a follower of Christ. But that he didn't stop there. There was another theme in this prayer, and that is to allow God's word to set you apart. Did you notice he said that he was sanctified? He said, Lord, I, I, I sanctified myself. I, I consecrated. I set myself apart to do your work. And now sanctify them in your word. In verse 13, he says, But now I'm coming to you, but these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I have given them your word, and the the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Verse 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. How do we fight this battle that we find ourselves in in this world? How do we stay afloat? Allow God's word to continue to set you apart. God's word will bail you out. What do you do when you forget to put the plug in the boat? Do you just sit there and say, oh, well, let's sink. I'm going to begin a new life as a fish. No, that's not what he had in mind. He wants you to stay afloat. And he plugs up those conformity issues we have in our life and the sinful things that we're dealing with through his word. He tells us that his word is sufficient. He prayed for us and he said, Lord, continue to set them apart through your word. It's important. If, that's what he prayed for. You think if Jesus prayed, you know, saying, well, you know why is God's word so important? Well, it's, is it just because you tell us, Pastor? Well, think about this. Jesus prayed that we would be set apart by God's word or through God's word. Don't you think if Jesus prayed for something that it's important? Yeah. The other thing is is maintain the same message and priority. This one I've missed for years. So if you never heard of this or thought of this, don't worry. I didn't either. I like, yep. I know that God wanted me to be, you know, have His identity. I know that God wanted me to set apart. And, you know, frankly, I knew that in Matthew 28, he said, go make disciples, but I missed this in this prayer. John 17, verse 18, he says, As you sent me into the world, so I also sent them into the world. As you sent me. There was a way that God sent Jesus into this world. There was a purpose in which Jesus was sent into this world. And he's saying, so I send them. It's not the only time that he said that. By the way, he he talks about this message right in verse 4 and 5. And Jesus says to God when he's praying, he said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He acknowledges this work. He acknowledges what the Father sent Jesus to do. He says, "And now he says, "And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed." And he went in, "I manifested your name. I taught them your word. You gave me those that you saved." He says, "I did what you asked me to do. Now I send them to do the same thing. When Jesus was glorified and went to heaven, and there he's still continuing to pray for us on our behalf. He now wants us to continue that same message. Mark 14 or Mark chapter 1 verse 14 he says now after John was arrested Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God saying this the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the good news. This is the reality. God had a purpose when Jesus came to save us, he came with a certain message, he came with a a certain purpose, and now he says, I also send them into the world for the same reason. There was a reason that Noah built the ark. God had a purpose, God had a plan, and he wanted Moses to fulfill that plan. He now has a new boat for us to bear, to build in our life. He wants us to be in the world, but he doesn't want us to take on the world. He wants us to continue with His purpose, to stay afloat, not to be integrated into the watery flood and dissipation of this world, the destruction. He doesn't want us to take part in that destruction and where they're going. So in, this, in these verses that God prays for us and Jesus prayed on our behalf as we battle this world in which we live and we're trying to stay afloat, we need to realize that it's all about God's identity, it's all about His Word, and it's all about and looking that our goal in life should be what God's goal is, what His priority is. That's how we please the Lord. So the question is, is what part of the verses did you need to hear this morning? There's some of us that are in group one, group one is, is that some are too far away from the world. We're Let's put it this way, we're in dry dock. God created us to be a boat, and we're not even afloat. We're in dry dock. And we're a, so far away from the world that we can't even get wet. We can't relate to the people that are drowning in our culture around us. We don't even know how they're drowning or why they're drowning. And we just see people and we ridicule them and say they're just a bunch of sinners. We hate them. We know that we're going to heaven. Good for us. And we are in our boat and we just stay on dry land as far away from everybody as we can. It's called being a monk. We make ourselves our monastery. Maybe we're in that group. Or maybe we're in group two. Some of us are too far in and we're drowning. We're having a hard time keeping our head above the water because our boat sunk. We can't tell the difference. We're so wet and we so are like the world. We can't tell the difference from the world or from yourself. Those that are in the first group remove themselves far from the world and they don't, so that way they're so scared of the world influencing them. They know that there's a battle, but they're so scared because they don't realize that Jesus already defeated the world, right? Um, Pastor Rob, he, he shared that message with us about peace. Your, your end is isolation, protection, self-guarding. And a lot, I've seen so many churches close their building because of this. Gone to churches where they're so afraid of the world that they've just come together and they never talk to anybody in the world. There's no evangelism. There's no good news. There's no fulfilling God's desire and purpose in our life. Then that second group have gotten so far into the world that they're no longer being influenced by God. They no longer can stay afloat. Your outlook is looking and surrounding and smelling just like the world your, your whole goal is being able to fit in. You know, hey, they'll be comfortable with us because we're so close to them. Let's make things comfortable. And if I'm so comfortable, then we'll get to share Jesus with them. I've never seen that work. I've just seen churches and I've seen people walk away from God because they're so much like the world. People like that, they tend to wave that, well, we have liberty. We have freedom. We're free. And they, they wave this flag of liberty and they forget Galatians 5 and verse 13. It says, For you, brethren, you've been called to liberty. You have. We've, been, we've said, been set free out of this world. Free from sin, by the way. Not free to just to choose whatever we want. But we've been set free from sin, out of slavery. But he says, Only do not let your freedom or your liberty be as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Here's the reality. God said, Let us form man in our image. This is to form us the reality from Genesis. The devil says, I will deform them by sin. I will take that image and I will deform it. God, God creates, Satan destroys. He, I was going to say, Decreates. That that's not word he deforms he takes that and the world says let us conform man into our let's shove him into a new mold we don't want him to be in the mold of god and education says let us inform man by knowledge in order to conform them we see that happening all the time and society says let us reform man by culture into whatever culture wants and we see that all the time. No longer are we found in the form of God. We see people taking the form of God's creation, our very bodies, and telling us how to reform it into something that society says is acceptable. That is the battle we face. Your identity matters. Your identity, you were saved from the world into, back into your identity with the Lord. The Bible matters because it keeps us afloat. We need the Bible. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't prayed for that. But we also need to be about His priority. If we're not, it's a slippery slope. Right? We just slowly divert back. We're in a battle. We need to be fighting. And God gave us And Jesus prayed for us to give us the tools to fight. He prayed that God would give us the tools to fight. And he did when he saved you and when he saved me. Which group are you in? You say, well, I'm not in a group. Well, make sure that your identity is in Christ. That's why we worship him. And that's why we read the word. And that's why we focus on his purpose, his goal, not ours. Our goal of the church is not a goal. It's it's to allow God to grow the church. It's not our goal to change the church into something that it's not or to make it acceptable to someone else. We are here by God's mercy and grace. Let's